the real problem isn't isn't that we have a Democrat or a Republican president. The real problem is that we are sinners, and 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 no no political party and no political program could ever solve that. Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How you guys doing? Great, Nick. How, Great. Was, every, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? It's good. It's good. <laughs> Don't all speak at once about how wonderful <laughs> and family-filled it was. Well, I hesitate yeah, to be, too. I don't know how we were being tracked or traced, so I don't want to really, uh, I plead the fifth on everything yeah. I did. Um, I just sat in my um, my house with a mask on. Um, in Kentucky, it was, I mean, it was no more than two families, no more than eight people total. We have a family in our church that by themselves is more than eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, unless, of course, you are a high uh, elected official, right, um, right. in which case, um, you know, Thanksgiving then you can at the French party. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so incredibly, our election is not officially over. Who'd have thought that we would have uh, three potential COVID-19 vaccines before the, oh wait, every single far-right conspiracy theorist thought exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, for all intents and purposes, the election is in the books and Joe Biden will be our next president. And we have, of course, as a result of that, the same kind of shouting from the Republican side this year that we had from the Democratic side four years ago, you know, vote stealing, irregularities, uh, etc. And there's basically a fundamental disbelief from the losing side that the outcome could possibly be as it appears. And this belief is a result, argues Roger in a recent article in the American Conservative, it's a result of a symptomatic deeper problem, that people are putting way too much faith in our political system and not enough time and energy into catechizing their own kids. Now, I would commend Dreher's article to everybody, but the money quote in it to me is when he asks, what good does it do to have politicians who vote as you like if you have failed to pass on the faith to your children? And all the energy that we spend arguing about, contesting, and fretting about election results, Dreher suggests, would be better spent teaching the Christian faith to our children. So what do you guys think of this? How, how do we go about doing that? Dreher admits that completely pulling away from political engagement would be self-defeating, but what's the balance that we should strike? What can politics do for us as Christians and what can it not do? I was, I was reading, we're, I'm reading a Bible study through Ecclesiastes on Thursday nights and we're in Ecclesiastes 3 and it's, it's still in the area where, where, where Solomon is talking about the, the futility of, of things earthly. And he says in, in verse 16 of chapter 3, uh, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Mm. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. And, it, and while, of course, he, Solomon wasn't dealing with the context in which there were elections, he was, I think, tapping into something that, that, that we all, I think, as, as Christians need to come to terms with. And that is that even if we had all of our wishes. If the president we wanted were elected, the Congress were all of the party that we wished, um, there would still be injustice in the, in the, in the, in the city and the, in the country. Um, because the real problem isn't, isn't that we have 
a Democrat or a Republican president. The real problem is that we are sinners, and 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 no no political party and no political program could ever solve that. Um, and the more that we think that the, the nation's problems will be solved by some elected person, the 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 blinder we become to the real problem. Yes. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right, Matt. I mean, I've, I've been wrestling with this a lot because the, you know, the, the argument is thrown around um, both, as it were, left and right. We'll just use those terms for the, that, uh, you know, one side or the other is, is prioritizing politics and particularly within a Christian context, you know, sort of, idol uh, sort of, sort of idolizing um, and putting all their hopes in chariots, you know, um, instead of the Lord our God, as the psalmist says. And so, and, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, and I think that there's, there's um, you know, there's certainly the case where people can overemphasize politics, and I think we see a lot of the despondency as a result of that. You know, if you really have, are having trouble getting out of bed after your presidential candidate didn't win, you know, or, or like caring for yourself, you know, caring for your needs, <laughs> well, then you may, that may be an indication that you, um, you had a little bit too much riding on the lawn there. But that being said, I think that there is a, um, there's a real sense in which, you know, we've said it before, there's a sort of a uh, truism that goes around, I forget who, who said it first, that politics is downstream of culture, you know, meaning that, you know, the, the, the leaders you get, the laws that are enacted, um, the policies that are put forth are going to be a secondary reflection of a fundamental sort of uh, worldview, for lack of a better word, or at least a cultural um, formation. And so I think that that what Rod's, Dreyer's quote's getting to in that is that we, we can't expect sort of a top-down politics to fix our our culture, as it were, which is what many people want to do, um, when we can't... Um, when, when the actual way that culture is, is established and propagated is, you know, from one father's mouth to his family to another, you know, I mean, this is what we saw in, in Deuteronomy, you know, chapter five. I mean, this is how the, the Israelites were constituted was that, you know, the family structure, um, however understood, you know, extended nuclear, whatever we want to say, uh, was the, was the fundamental basis from which grew um, a, a sort of political system, you know, which when you see, of course, in the Old Testament, we see it break down often when they actually wanted a king, you know, or they wanted a, you know, it's like, all right, well, let's see how that works for you. Um, and I think that that what we're seeing now is um, a lot of people who unknowingly, and even though people have been, have been sounding the alarm, it's that the cultural change has come so quickly and swiftly that it's caught many Christian people um, off guard, even though people like, you know, for decades, like Francis Schaeffer, I'm thinking of, you know, have been saying that this is coming. There's going to come a time when the culture will not support Christian convictions on all sorts of things. And they said, yeah, yeah, but, you know, we live in Mount Pleasant. So, you know, I don't know, you live up in New York or wherever, that may be the case, but it's not going to happen down here. Well, it's starting to happen everywhere. And as a result of that, the urgency that people are looking at politics, I think, has doubled. Um, in a certain sense, it's understandable because they're looking and they're saying, can somebody stop this? Can somebody stop this from, you know, protect us? Can somebody, you know, I, I don't want my kids to, to, to go to school and have to learn these things that, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I think that's part of the urgency that people are putting into politics. But it, it, and, it's, and that's where Rod's saying it's not that it's unimportant. It's just that that's not fundamentally going to be what, what keeps your your kid, your family, your culture in, in, in place. Isn't this the way that the Bible talks about 
the people of Israel with the transition from Genesis into Exodus, where the real problem isn't that, you know, the government of Egypt became oppressive. It's that a generation arose that <clears throat> didn't know Joseph and they didn't, they didn't know the Lord. And so the government took the opportunity. It was given by a faithless nation to overwhelm it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, so I, I agree that the, it's not a meaningless thing to to be involved politically especially I, I do think some really important things are at stake yeah. in this election i mean well and the yeah. scriptures don't command us to jettison politics right right and, and we, we had um you know just just the reversal of of, of president trump's executive orders about uh our, the mexico city policy uh, for example will probably result in you know thousand babies dead just because the, 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 now all the restrictions that, that Trump had the power to, to to put in place with our policy on abortion overseas, they're gone. So they're going to be gone. Um, so that's huge. It's a big thing. It's like lives are at stake. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, the Equality Act that looks that looks like it has the real potential to erode religious freedoms at, for for Christian schools at least, possibly uh, even for churches as if this thing goes on. Um, so these are really important things that could, yeah. over the course of time, and I think will, change the, the character of our nation and change the kind of the thing to remove the kind of freedoms that we're used to um, as Christians. And and so that's big. At the same time, again, you know, you, I think if I think that uh, I, I've been politically involved and in paying attention for about since I was eighteen, started voting. And I remember I was so I was so obsessive about politics up until about you know ten years ago, and the reason I was obsessive is because I I I I, I felt like if my if my side wins the country is going to you know the a thousand flowers are going to bloom, the butterflies are going to be you know even more colorful, the trees are going to be uh, fragrant and. Um, uh, yeah, everything's gonna be great. If I if our side loses, then you know we're we're becoming a communist nation. And then <laughs> day two, like the first hundred hundred year plan, hundred day plan is gonna be, you know, Bolshevik revolution. And I just realized looking back over that, this is about, I had this realization about two years ago that it's it just, yeah, okay, bad things happened, yep. good things happened. It's not gonna fundamentally change the the real issues at stake and at the heart. Amen. And so from that, which, which again, is sin, redemption, the need for everybody, uh, the need for every nation and every person in that nation to uh, repent and turn to Jesus, that's what's, that's what's necessary. So after that realization about 10 years ago, I just haven't been as obsessed. The day after a victory, I don't go online and look for liberal to drink um, like I used <laughs> to. And <laughs> and a day after a loss, I don't like hide myself away from the internet for... Well, I'm for grateful I already have couple hundred pounds of freeze-dried fruit food ready to go so i'm um there you go I'm good <laughs> um you know i think you had a good point there matt because it's it's it is important i mean you know countries countries and their political um the, the way they're comported politically make a difference in the everyday lives of people you know i mean it's a different thing to live in china than it is to live in the u.s or to live in venezuela or, or northern kenya or you know you name it it's a different thing and so to the extent that we participate and we um you know, we argue and, 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 you know, hopefully peacefully fight for um, a vision of the political life that we want to inhabit is, is a worthy cause. And so I don't want to down, denigrate that at all. And I think you're right to point out that um, there are competing views about that. But I think what Rod's saying 
um, in this quote, and he's actually riffing off of the new book that he just wrote, which I commend to you called Live Not By Lies, which was an, basically interviews with a bunch of Christians who lived through the Iron Curtain, you know, and the communists sort of tried a suppression of the church. And, um, and he was sort of saying as a warning, you know, this could happen. They didn't think it was going to, but it did. You know, we hope it doesn't, but it might. And if it does, that there's still a greater hope than, than even if the, the government turns explicitly anti-Christian, which it certainly did, um, you know, underneath uh, the communists. And so I took sort of, it wasn't cold comfort from that, but it was a, it was a sobering comfort in the midst of, even in my own life in light of this election, because at the very least, you could see a competition in, in sort of what rights would be prioritized, you know, or is, is quote unquote, is our religious freedom going to be continued to be put in scare quotes in various articles or are other, um, you know, rights going to be prioritized? And there's people that disagree about all these sorts of things. And, you know, so there was some sobering reality to the divide of our country, but it also made me redouble my own sort of prayer life and familial piety, um, hoping that when my kids leave the house, that they're going to be prepared, equipped, and catechized to withstand come what may. I mean, that's my hope, of course, you know, I mean, I don't know what parent wouldn't hope that, but, but I think that the idea that the culture around us is going to help contribute to that equipping is um, quickly fading. And so, you know, Port of Rod's work, both in the Benedict Option and Live Not By Lies, is not to withdraw from the culture and start like a, a monastery or a commune or something, but it's to figure out how within the culture to establish relationships and, you know, thick institutions, as it were, um, that are going to, to reinforce uh, this hope that you have in you, you know, I mean, it's, I, I feel for the, you know, we talked about Abigail Schreier and the, her book on transgenderism, you know, I feel for the, the lost and confused 12 year old, you know, predominantly girls, at least her books about that, um, that is getting all these conflicting messages and doesn't know where or what is true. And then, you know, has some real sort of fundamental destabilizing um, ideas about her own identity and you know that's a that's a that's a sad place to be. I mean that's but that's what the culture is pro- is producing over against what we have to offer, which is you know we have a known Father, a known Creator, a good design, and a and a trustworthy uh, God. You know that's a and I think that the divide between those are going to continue to grow. And hopefully, as was the case in the early church, the attraction to the Christian message would not simply be. I would not be a, a forced attraction, but it would just be a witness, you know, like come and see, you know, like Andrew and his brothers, like come and meet this man, you know, come and see this, these people that, that don't seem to be as confused or hopeless or as uh, despairing, you know, as, as, as I do. And that's, you know, that's my, that's my hope and I pray. And I know that's ultimately the, the point of Dre Rod's um, Benedict option and live not by lies is that it's supposed to be a, a sobering comfort and encouragement to the church as opposed to what it was um, you know the Benedict option in particular was written off by many people who said it was too radical it was it was too alarmist you know it seemed separatist and and it, it wasn't any of those things I mean Rod's actually in the middle of um, trying to develop like a sort of like a Bonhoeffer type life together community in there in Baton Rouge like with it has a lot of um historical precedent you know it turns out you need friends you need your kids need friends and you need surrogate uncles aunts and god grandparents in your life to reinforce this christian message that we're that we're teaching it can be an overwhelming thing to think about 
yourself sort of against the government, you know, like, like they're going to have Alexa's listening to you and they're going to be tracking you and your most closely held beliefs are going to be illegal. And for most people who don't live in these sort of intentional communities, it can be easy to forget that there are communities available. I wonder, I'm going to throw you a fastball here, uh, JD, and if this doesn't work out, I can edit this all out. But I remember you brought to a church that we worked at together an author named uh, James Skillen, who had written a book called The Good of Politics, a biblical historical and contemporary introduction. And I wonder if his book, which I haven't read, but I know that that you have and have some ability to remember what you read, unlike the rest of us, I wonder if you might be willing to sort of give us a quick idea of what he sees as the good of politics, even in our world today. Well, um, yeah, I have to admit, I, I it's been a while since I read it, but the basic, it, it's, as far as I remember, he's basically operating from a what we call a Kuyperian worldview. And, you know, Abraham Kuyper was this, just Dutch, right? Dutch prime minister who- I um, wanted was, to ask you all about him anyway. Well, he's self-consciously reformed and he was the prime minister. Um, and he, you know, had his Christianity influence his political decision-making. And that's a, that's sort of a, um, as far as I can tell, that's, I don't want to say it's unique to the reform, but it certainly seems to be a, a hot topic amongst reformed theologians is sort of this um, sphere sovereignty, they would call, you know, how, what is um, the good of politics over against the good of a family, over against the good of a church, you know, and they're sort of, when they're, when they're rightly balanced, then they have their own authority in the proper channels and they're not jumping channels. And so they're working in, in concert with each other. But the problem is when, you know, if you have a weak family, then the responsibilities that a family should cover are going to have to be picked up by someone, either the state or the church, you know, but then the church gets more responsibility than it should and becomes a surrogate parent um, in, the, in the way that it never was supposed to be. Or if the church doesn't step in, which is often the case in the West now, then um, the state steps in and begins to provide the means and it, and it goes all back and forth. And so his argument, if I remember it correctly, but it's a very fairly general argument is simply that politics when understood as service of, of the public good, you know, justice um, when it's impartial and just is a worthy endeavor for Christians to be involved in. And in particular Christians, because we have a specific, excuse me, mandate to care for the poor and the needy, not exclusive mandate, but that's amongst our concerns. You know, we don't have the luxury of being like um, the late Steve Jobs and saying that we're just going to be billionaires and not give one penny to any philanthropic or a charitable organization, you know, something like this. And, and so again, there's probably more to be said about that. And I'm sure Dr. Skillen is a frequent listener to this uh, program. <laughs> so <laughs> please call me and remind me. But my main point in bringing him before the previous election was to get people thinking along these lines. It was that, you know, that there's a Christian way of processing politics, which is, which, you know, holds it, holds it lightly, but still holds it, you know, doesn't just reject it or doesn't embrace it, but it holds it and sort of sees some of the fundamental philosophical and theological ideas that are at play you know this is what and i think and we've talked about this almost every episode about abortion and euthanasia and sort of these these um human dignity questions really are theological questions fundamentally you know i had an argument with a guy once closest i've ever come to getting into a fight as an adult 
um, about uh, he was he was mocking my uh, insistence or sort of my my tearful. I don't know why he was doing it, but I was sort of tearfully recounting how meaningful it was to see a picture of two cells of my oldest daughter Tucker, because we were able to have her via um, in vitro fertilization, and um, and how meaningful that was that we put a little picture of her up on the window, and um, you know we're praying for her, and and I was weeping, and he was sort of kind of politely mocked that as just kind of a pious um, sort of, I, I don't know. And we, we kind of got into it. And so, uh, you know, we, we extricated ourselves from the situation. But I'll never forget that because that was essentially two, two, it was a living reality of the contrast we're looking at. Like for me, you know, through faith um, and the belief of God, the creator, this was a child, fertilized child, just really, really, really small, you know, really small. And for him, it was... Um, it was something altogether different. And I think that's part of the difficulty we're getting into when um, politics starts touching on those, that third rail, these theological realities, well, then you're going to see people get fired up about it in ways that perhaps our great grandparents couldn't have imagined. Yeah, it is interesting that when you do talk about those issues, and we are going to have to talk about them increasingly, you know, before I could preach a sermon on human sexuality and people would maybe disagree with me, you know, walk out of the church angry or whatever a long time ago, but they wouldn't say necessarily, well, you need to stop being political. They would say, yeah, that's right. they would say that's, we just, we just don't think that Jesus is like that. Um, now it's going to be, you know, you mentioned these things and immediately you're going to be heard as this pastor always talks about his politics yeah. or you, you, you pre talk about abortion, the same thing. Cause, cause, because like you say, uh, the battlefield has shifted, and 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 things that were once not on um, not in question are now suddenly in question. Like, how do you define a human person? Not even talking about abortion. Like, yeah. how do you define uh, male female? Is now, <laughs> well, yeah. if those are even things anymore. Well, it used to be a joke. You could talk about the weather, but now it's like, <laughs> you're like it's so hot. It's like, well, it's because you're driving well, a Ford. You know, yeah. that's why. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, well, I like football. It's like, oh, yeah, the NFL, which team? You know, it's like, I right. like, uh, it's rainy. Well, yeah, well, that's because not enough people are driving Prius. I mean, like, whatever, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 like everything, even like the masks, which we've talked about before. Like, you know, masks, it's like, well, you know, I'm, these masks are really uncomfortable. You know, oh, so you want your grandparents to die. You know, you're like, well, I don't know. That's a big jump right there. Um, but, you know, Matt, I think this is going to be an interesting thing for us to have to to navigate because we can't say that it's not important you know i mean like i can't i i I, um am grateful to live in south carolina right now for all sorts of reasons but if i were living in a different school district you know i mean we're sending our kids to the homeschooling anyway but but you know there are this still isn't the worst place to go to school but there are some school districts where i think if you're a christian you just say like we're just sending our kids into the the lion's den you know this is just i mean again i'm not gonna name names but like but i think you know so the election to that local school board meaning makes makes a difference you know the election of the mayor the election of the governor you know and all the way up and down and so at the same time you want to say we need to hold it lightly it, it does affect people's lives and not everyone has different resources different convictions you know and i think that's where christians are going to have to be seemingly more i want to say radical but more uh, decisive in our um, in our sort of decision making with respect to a lot of these public institutions because you know barring some sort of dramatic reversal or or a um, 
you know, sort of revival. I mean, even the Republicans, you know, it's not like the Republicans were, were um, or the Democrats, like with respect to some of these public social issues, you know, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of difference in a lot of these things, you know, I mean, I was looking at, um, you know, like the log cabin Republicans, you know, Herschel Walker's sons, like really big into this, you know, sort of the um, kind of the LGBTQ for Trump ton of people like, you know, and again, it's not, doesn't have to be an us versus them in terms of our personal relationships with people, but there is a fundamental theological divide that, you know, I, for, for one, I'm going to be training our children in a different way. You know, the Canaanites son, uh, worship a different God, you know? And so, and this is how they worship and this is what they do with their bodies. This is how their families are formed. And this is, you know, we, we love them, God, they're creatures of God, but we are different from them and this, that, and the other way. And, um, be sure to invite them over to the sleepover, but you're not going over there. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, you're not, it ain't going to Bourbon Street, kid. Like, that's not happening. Uh, and, and I feel like so many people are, are, feel like they can't, they don't know what to do in that arena. They feel unprepared and they, yes. they miss the simple truth. I think that in, for, there's uh, one of the categories that I love um, that, your wife Anne keeps returning to Matt is just go to church. <laughs> like I feel like half of her blog yeah. posts end with something like to go church. to church. <laughs> and I feel like that's so much of what this catechesis really is. You can bring your kids to church that's right. and say the creed with them. Talk through what the Lord's prayer means. I mean, you don't have to be a theologian with your kids, but you can, you can make it the norm you can worship with them. You can raise your hands with them and, and tell them what it is that you're doing. And that, that's, that's got to be, you know, that's almost enough just by itself. Just that go to church, say the words, think through what they mean, and believe them. And that's 98% of raising your kids up in the faith, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, we, we, I'm going to make a confession here that probably makes me a non-Christian in some people's <laughs> eyes, but only to see what I do. I've been, it's just a matter of time. I've been, I yeah. Nick and I have an over under. We've been all, we've been <laughs> waiting. How long has been be? waiting for That's a church right. discipline <laughs> moment? <laughs> well, we, right. we don't do family devotionals regularly. I mean, we might do that. Like some, every once in a while during Advent, we'll do, we'll do that. But, but the reason is, is because my kids go to all my Bible studies yeah. and uh, they go to church every Sunday and we talk about, we talk about, you know biblical theology theology and stuff like that but but um we just don't and and i think my kids know are pretty well grounded just just by going to bible studies being around the church going to sunday school all those things uh they they know jesus and they're well informed about doctrine and they're reading their bibles and they're praying and that's that's just something that just simply going to church can actually create in a child um, not saying that family devotions are, are bad, but um, but I'm just saying that that's the the the, the way that God promises to feed and to and to uh, nurture Christians is by the gathered body and through the gathered body. Gathered, gathered body. Yeah, and I think I think you know th there's always the the danger of being heard um, as sort of hearkening back to a golden age where it was, you know, like the Garden of Eden, like 1940 America or something, you know, like that was like Missouri. And, um, and I think, you know, Liza and I were talking about this and I told her what we were talking about and we were 
kind of going back and forth about that because on on one hand of course we reject that i mean there's been sinners there's been the church has been you know every generation thinks it's the last one the church has you know every every old person thinks the young people are going to hell in a handbasket you know this is a this is nothing nothing new um that being said when we get back to these fundamental, you know, kind of cornerstones, these pillars, there are some, there were some, some fundamental cornerstones of, we say like epistemic reality, you know, like what people just thought was true, you know, like whether you're a Christian or an atheist or a Buddhist or Hindu or whatever the case may be, that have been, um, they've been unearthed. They haven't been moved fully yet, but they certainly have been, they're in preparation for, for removal. And this is going to provide a, um, a a new landscape. I mean, we talk about this a bunch, you know. I mean, this that that the some of the questions and concerns that we're having in in a real way, even ten years ago, would be unimaginable unimaginable for for people, you know, about um, um, various hormone therapies you can have to change your gender, you know, various arguments about um, transhumanism, you know, like when and how do we put uh, microchips sort of fusing with our with our synapses and things. I mean, these are these are real questions held by real people for whom Jesus died, you know, and who, who we have compassion for. And so to be able to navigate this world without, you know, either on, on either extreme contempt or sort of blind affirmation is going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. And I, I've already, I mean, we're, we've all experienced it to a certain degree. And I think it's going to get, what's going to be interesting, it's going to get more challenging for your average lay Christian, you know, just to, I mean, look, it's like what's happening with Chris Pratt, for instance, you know, like he just goes to a church that happens to believe that what Christians have always believed, you know, and he's not like an elder, he's not a preacher, he just goes. And he's, um, if he hasn't been canceled yet, it's only because he has so much, he's like uh, J.K. Rowling, he has too much money, like, and, and he's just such a great um, star, star lord, they can't really get rid of him, but um, that's from the movie, of course. But, you know, look at what happened to him. And that's going to get harder and harder. It's like, oh, I mean, you know, we're Anglicans. What's an Anglican? Oh, well, you know, it's sort of like an Episcopalian, except for some some differences here. Here's <laughs> here's what they are, you know. And it's like, you people, you're going to back away or come closer. And that's going to just go down the line. You know, you're a Baptist. So what kind of Baptist, you know, or you're a, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, well, are you one of those Christians? Or are you one of, you know, the ones that, that we like, you know, whatever that means. And it's gonna, you know, this is what I feel for my congregation. I talk to them all the time. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what we would do if the churches are outlawed, um, but you know, that seems a long way away. I mean, God, hopefully, uh, if that ever happens, I mean, pray against that. But, you know, I don't have to work at like Boeing or, or Kinko's or, you know, Starbucks. You read about the woman, you know, that didn't want to wear the, the pride t-shirt to Starbucks and she, you know, um, turns out, you know, she's no longer working there for all sorts of reasons, that included. And, you know, I feel for this because it's going to be our ability to, and this goes back to the catechesis, you know, the culture, the law provokes wrath. And so even this, I mean, look at the little sisters of the poor, even the slightest little whisper that, that um, contraception is wrong you know, brings down the entire force of the federal government on this, on the little sisters of the poor, you know, and that's because, that's because God's, God's voice, no matter how quietly whispered, brings the weight of, of the law crushing down. And so they're going to try to silence it, right? And they're going to silence it, try to silence it all over the place. I mean, that's what this, um, that's what a lot of this uh, fear for Christians is. It's like, look, I don't, I'm not stopping you from getting married. I'm not, boycotting your marriages i'm not boycotting anything i'm just trying to 
teach my family and my church what, what Jesus taught us about men and women. And, you know, that's too much for some people. You know, you can't do that. And so what we're going to have to do, and this is the challenge, is not simply learn the no, because the no is important, the law, but of course the yes at the same time. Like this is why, you know, this is thou shalt not covet. Well, why, why wouldn't we covet? Well, here's the, here's why, you know, don't commit adultery. Well, what, what's the big deal about adultery? Well, here's why, because it's, there's something more beautiful, good and true about what God has given for the world that actually will find, will bring you peace and comfort um, when you know him and you rest in him, as opposed to what you may have thought, you know, that were some sort of killjoys just going around like, um, whoever the bad guy in, who doesn't like Esther Prynne is, right, in Nathaniel Hawthorne's book on the Puritans, uh, you know, his definitive historical te textbook on the piety of uh, New England Puritanism, um, uh, Scarlet Letter, of course. So I don't know, this is what I'm, this is what I mean, I, I feel like I have this conversation daily, uh, actually, with, with parishioners, and then weekly in a class or, that I'm teaching, um, which is just the sort of this, this dual issue of, of like a bucket of cold water <laughs> to a certain degree, when like, this is where we are, this is, this is what you're, you know, your agnostic nephew at Reed College is learning about the world, and, but here's the hope that we have within us, or for us, in front of us, and here's, here's where the comfort we can find, and it's going to involve knowing God, and we know God by, you know, uh, participating in worship, by learning what he's revealed about himself through the scriptures, and ultimately by walking in fellowship with each other, trusting that he's growing us, you know, into, into his likeness. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't say I'm sort of a pessimist in terms of whether it's going to get better or worse, um, because I think, like you, we said before, whatever side was going to win wasn't going to... Um, bring in, usher in the, the kingdom of God, you know, and so I think, uh, but I am hopeful that at least to the extent, whatever, whatever realm of influence I have, that the people within that uh, sphere will at the very least be equipped to the best of my ability uh, with, with a ready defense for the hope that they have and the hope that, um, that has been set before us. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I think it's really important now um, because so many of those markers you were talking about a minute ago have fallen some of those essential epistemological truths that we used to all hold in common are gone i do think it's important to start talking to your congregation and your family about the fact that we're probably a nation under judgment at this point and 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 as such we can ex we can expect we can i mean i think my kids growing up are going to have a much harder time um, being a Christian, I know they're going to have much harder time being a Christian in the public sphere than, than I will. And it could become much more difficult, uh, not just in the sense of people having bad thoughts about you and not liking you personally, but legally. I mean, they, they might not be able to get a job. You might not be able to have, well, with, with the increasing ability of the powers that be to find out who you are and what you think um, by monitoring your you know, social media uh, stuff or, or just you know whatever they want to monitor. I can very easily see a time, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the line when, when if you are not hitting all of the right notes socially, you're unemployable. What do you do then? Do you move out of the country? Do you? Well, we have precedent for this. I mean, it's not yeah. only happened under the um, communists, you know, in um, 
East Germany, particularly, at least my experience of it, um, with people talking with people there. But this is what Live Not By Lies is about. You know, we have historical precedent for it and also contemporary precedent in China with with their social capital scoring. Um, And this is, you know, once we move to cashless and the weight of the government comes down on this, um, or just the weight of, of giant institutions. I mean, Facebook's as of now is not a government institution, but it has a lot of power, you know, I think you right. can say. And, you know, they start saying, flagging all your posts, and then ultimately you get deplatformed um, because you're talking about, um, about marriage, you know, between yeah. a man and a woman or something. Um, this is not out of the realm of possibility. And I think, you know, again, this is where I keep coming back to where our actual hope is because you know we can participate in you know we we have uh historical points we can look back to where things would be worse even than that and the lord has kept his church strong you know maybe smaller but strong people have been given incredible infusions of faithfulness in the midst of you know incredibly trying times and in fact those are the times that continue to propel and strengthen future generations of the church. And so we've been called to live during this time, you know, like we, the fights that we're having in church are not about whether, you know, women should wear pants or something, you know, (laughs) or not about like um, how many candles are on the altar. You know, I'm sure those seem to be really important when they happen, but these are, these are fundamentally important questions. And I sort of feel honored to a certain degree to have been, um, to be part of, of the church during this time to get to clarify and to see it sort of refined, you know, a lot of people have been have fallen away and many more will but on the other side of that as we've seen throughout history uh, those who remain will be not only stronger but but more convicted and and in a better place to reach back out to a lost and hurting culture with with the hope that Jesus has given us to 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 give them if it sounds like i've totally bought into the benedict option thesis it's, it's, it, 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 it's because i have and i um, and so i've uh, been you know uh preparing for this for since it came out five six years ago so well, we've been given a promise right we have actually been given a promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against our god's church and that he has overcome the world he doesn't promise us a life free of trouble in fact he promises a life of trouble but he also says that in his son, Jesus Christ, he has overcome the world. And it might hurt sometimes, but the outcome is secure. I'm really happy in this respect to be part of the ACNA just because so many uh, churches in the ACNA have gone through uh, at least a foretaste of the fire um, in the Episcopal Church. And, we, and as a result of that, we have in our, you know, built into our constitution our stance on sexuality and our stance on abortion so that those are Amen. things that just, that just can't change and so that that already i mean makes us a target i guess but um but it also protects us from weakening and and you know i guess anything as we see with the episcopal church anything can happen in a denomination but having those two things in the constitution at a time like this really will will i hope continue to to act as you know, spine stiffeners for us in the, in the culture wars coming up. So <laughs> I agree. I point to those all the time. And then people yeah. come like, what's, what are y'all about? And I'm like, well, here, here's our here's constitution. <laughs> here's what we do. And, you know, it's been very refreshing and very clarifying because yeah. people, you know, alternately bristle and walk away or, mm-hmm. you know, 
like say thank tear, God, say tear up, and they're yeah. like, we've been looking for this for a long. I mean, I literally just had a conversation with a young couple that um, was sort of trucking along in a Methodist church until you know they had their kind of blow up in 2018. Which for many people, if you just were kind of showing up on a Sunday, that was a new situation. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, what? Like, we believe what? Because they happen to be in a fairly conservative cultural place. Yeah. And so ever since then, they've been kind of floating around saying, what do we believe? Where, where do we find a home? And so they met with me and they wanted to know all about the differences between Anglicanism and the Episcopal Church. And I was, you know, bracing myself. I was like, well, I've had this conversation before and it hasn't gone well. And, um, and it was so refreshing because, you know, they're young, they want to start a family, they want to be around people that they trust that are that are <laughs> biblical and that they can they can sort of relax around. And I said, well, praise God, you know, come on in, you know, the water's fine. <laughs> and, so, and I think there's going to be more refugees from various denominations that are going to find homes in not just ACNA church, but hopefully our churches, there are enough of them. But I think that we're going to continue to see this great clarifying divide uh, burned through the church, and I think it's all to the good. I think it's all to the, that's all to the good because um, you know catechesis is not a is not just something you can do individually. You know it does require a church and a community and um, various voices and and people speaking into it. So you know I for one am excited about having a church community that are on the same page, who are um, in agreement about these great issues. And then allow my, as it were, my kids to run freely amongst them and, and trust that God will continue to be faithful to his promise, which is if you raise a child in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from me, you know, as the Proverbs mm. say. And so that's, um, we'll just keep, you know, remind me of that 10 years from now when yeah. they're all t- teenagers. <laughs> and right. uh, I'm going to send them all up to you <laughs> to live with you, Matt. And, uh, and that's because y'all will have some sort of like boarding school, military Christian institution by then. And so that's uh, <laughs> like, so. We can all look forward to that. Our next episode will be figuring out the constitution and canons of the uh, Matt and (laughs) Ann Kennedy Christian military academy. That's right. St. Stanislaus. (laughs) Well, we have reached the end of our time, though. Thank you guys for your insights on this conversation. If you listeners would like to keep the conversation going, I hope you'll be in touch with us. You can email us at uh, mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We're, as always, uh, very thankful that you've taken the time to spend with us today. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. (laughs) 